Here's your host, Alex Garrett. Well, this is a very special treat on Alex Garrett Podcasting today. Uh, Memorial Day weekend, everybody kind of staying inside. I've got a theory that we're not supposed to be at the beach because we're supposed to remember those who stormed the beaches to keep us free. It's like a reflection weekend when you think about it this Memorial Day. And, uh, you know, there is some golf going on today. And, and my next guest, Ann Ligori, what's the story you might hear on WFAN? And she's a longtime friend, and she's finally joined me on this podcast. And thank you for joining me. It's been a long friendship here for 13 years. Glad to finally have you on here. I remember, Alex, when you came up to the U.S. Open Tennis Championship and helped me out with, uh, as like, an intern. And, boy, we've uh, known each other for a long time. And you've always been a, just such a wonderful friend and so inspiring to so many people. So, yeah, it's great to reconnect. Well, let's talk about our beginnings then, because it goes beyond, uh, and, and I really appreciate that time at the U.S. Open. That was amazing. But before that was the Henry Viscardi School, and we'd all congregate at sports night, like, year after year. And firstly, thank you for coming out and supporting, you know, the Viscardi Center and being part of that. I know you had a lot of fun during those years. I remember, yeah, every year they, and I, they probably still do it. They do that celebrity night and that's where we met. You just were so impressive, came up to me and wanted to have a chat. And I remember you from that, uh, that night. So yeah, we do go back way before the U.S. Open tennis. And uh, you're right. They did the 54th annual one and I was on a Zoom with Rod Gilbert. And so some of these guys continue to come back and that's, that is just special to see and and so thank all of you for, for doing that year after year. And, you know, one of our first conversations was that Andika Sorum, Sam, and uh, Sharapova, I think we're, like, retiring at the same time. And then we're like, yeah, why don't we do something at the U.S. Open? And, th- and that's how that came up. But let's fast forward because, obviously, you are a golf reporter. You're a tennis reporter for FAN. And what do you do? You go on the scene. But for the last year or so, you haven't been able to, up until, what, last weekend, I believe, at the PGA uh, or did you get to the Masters this year? Well, yeah, I mean, I went to a couple tournaments, but the major championships have been very restrictive as far as media goes. They only had, I know the Masters only had 100 media there total. And when you have an international media, um, you know, to deal with, you know, that's, that's not that many media when you're used to having like, you know, five, 600 media people there. So I actually broadcast most of the majors from my house. Um, with application media credentials, of course, to um, sit in on all the interviews and ask questions and really cover it as if you're there. Because you have to understand, even when I am, I, I, this, you know, I cover 22 straight masters, right? And even when I'm in Augusta National or at the U.S. Open or anywhere, um, the first couple of days, you know, you walk around and get the lay of the land and talk to the players. But then during, when the tournament starts, when the championship starts on the Thursday, you're in the media room watching it all on your television anyway. So, um, you know, it's not like we're out and covering the entire tournament by walking around because you can't see that much. You really have to cover it by watching it on a monitor. So, um, but I did get to the PJ Championship on Kiwa Island and saw Phil Mickelson's historic win, the, um, you know, the oldest uh, player ever to win a major title at 50 years of age. He's actually going to be 51 in a couple weeks. And boy, that was really historic and special. Uh, Phil Mickelson, the people player, I mean, people just, like, fans just love him. So it was just so much fun to be a part of his transformation as, uh, you know, both physically and mentally. I think there's a lot to be said about 
you know, what you can do as you age to keep your body strong and to really work on your focus mentally. Well, you know, it was quite a story and everybody loved them. As you say, they were crowding around him on the 18th hole. And in sort of like this post-COVID world, we're all like, why is everybody crowding around each other? But you were just telling me before we went on the air that in the South, it's a little bit different. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, it's uh, it's been a little more open. Um, people do wear masks when you go inside. You're required to in most establishments. Um, but it was definitely because of the weather in the wintertime being in Florida. Uh, I just felt like you could do more. Right. And there you, there are restaurants you eat outside and you'd wear a mask when you go into the restaurant. But when you go to the outdoor space and you finally sit down. You didn't have to, um, you know, you obviously don't wear, wear a mask. So because of the climate in some of these southern states, it just, you felt just a little more free to to go about and do your thing. So as long as you're careful and, um, and we're, you know, doing what you should do, wash your hands and, and uh, wear masks and keep your social distancing. Um, I just felt like, you, you know, we could live a little more down in Florida mm -hmm. because, uh, you know, because the weather was better. So I just felt less restricted down there in the wintertime. Now, you do cover tennis, and we'll get to that in a second, because what's the update on those restrictions as well? I mean, you know, we had the U.S. Open up here, but no one could come to that event last year. So, and I don't think... And that was another, that was another championship that I covered from my house. And, you know, you kind of get, you're getting kind of used to doing all this from your home, like, like other businesses. People, I think we're finding... Truly, that people can work from your house with the technology today. Like, for instance, with the uh, Masters, they have an app, Alex, where you can watch every single player and his every single shot. So you didn't miss anything. If you wanted to go back and see, you know, what any player did and talk about it on an update, you could, which is just incredible when you think of the technology and that they just have that i think this is like the third year that they've had that app so yeah. it makes it um more conducive to covering these events from home when you get all kinds of opportunities to watch all kinds of footage so i'd rather be obviously at the event but you know as people found in all industries uh they could work from home and they care and people find, found a way to carry it on and, and to do their job to the best of their ability so I don't know what that says about the future. I mean, just that more people probably will want to work from home and, uh, and you know, and, and try to figure out ways where they don't have to commute. <laughs> True. But I think that you can talk to this for a bit because there has been a lot of hardship, a lot of loss, even in the sports world. We lost uh, Anthony Cousy, the famous photographer. We've lost a whole bunch of different people. And so I think getting back into these places of sports is going to help people heal uh, wouldn't you agree I mean I feel like being out there for you didn't that help you heal from your loss that you had suffered over the over the last few months here well yeah I lost my mother um she was 95 god bless her my hero my true uh best friend my mother's the biggest inspiration she um it was not COVID she did not have COVID but um she lived a great life I just think keeping busy when you go through such loss is a good way to heal. Um, and, you know, people are getting out and going back to doing somewhat normal things, which you mentioned yourself, that you never really stopped. You continued to go and just you were very careful. And, and everybody has their own. I think everybody has their own personal 
uh, opinions about what they need to do to keep healthy. So I don't think we need to, we should be critical of people um, who make their own choices. That's what this country is all about. You know, you can um, hopefully, uh, uh, unless of course you're, you're sick or you test positive, you should not, you know, you have to adhere to quarantining and, and staying um, home, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, everybody has their own way of, of handling these things. And, um, you know, I think uh, it's good to see that our country is coming together and healing and getting to a point now where more people can go out and do and get back to normal. Absolutely. Now, I, I think in tennis, we did see, you know, some spikes with COVID. We even saw it in, in the U.S. Open. But what's in the golfing world? You didn't really hear much about that. So what was the protocol? How were they able to pull off these events? I would even say dating back to the Masters in October. How do they do it safely and, and take us sort of behind the scenes on all that? Well, sure. I mean, golf was one of the, was probably one of the first sports uh, to get try to get back last year. Uh, they did take a couple months off, and then all the golf officials got together from the USGA, from the PGA Tour, the LPGA Tour, the Rook. They all redid the schedule last year, and um, the British Open was canceled last year. But uh, the PGA Championship was, you know, went on last August. The U.S. Open at Wingfoot went on last November and uh the women's u.s open went on as well every you know they were able to have a lot of these major championships just at different times later in the fall so it got to be a pretty crowded calendar as you know you know starting in september of last year but no spectators were allowed and very very few media and this year at the pga championship uh well let's start with the masters actually in april they uh, limited the, the number of patrons that were allowed to buy tickets and attend. They, as I mentioned earlier, they limited the, the number of media that could go. Uh, the PJ Championship just uh, two weeks ago, last week actually, um, they actually had more than 10,000 a day. They originally thought they'd, they'd limit their, their crowds to 10,000 a day, but they allowed more people in. And they were more... Um, more lenient about the number of media. So I think as, as we continue forward, I, I hope that the tournament, you know, down the road will be a little more open to having more media attend. Uh, I'm not sure about the U.S. Open Tennis Championship yet. I know they, uh, we applied for credentials and, you know, I expect to, to go this year. So by the time August rolls around, the last week of August, the U.S. Open Tennis Championship will be somewhat back to normal as far as how they handle well, I, know the French... um, I know it's a little different, you know, for international media coming in to our country. It's easier for them to come into our country as long as they tested negative. But to go back to, say, Ireland, I heard that they had to quarantine for at least five days at home before they could go out and about. And for those from Scotland, they had to quarantine for 14 days before they could go back. So every country kind of has their own restrictions. You have to be pretty much on top of, of what your state or country, uh, what the regulations are. Well, you know, and, and then obviously the international play is a little more so for tennis because you got all these players coming in from different countries. For tennis, though, do you think the Australian Open scares did scare them from starting all the other tournaments on time? Or are they completely unrelated? Like, is the French going to be on time, Wimbledon, et cetera? Yeah, all the other tournaments, I think, with the French, I think it's the French one week later. Other than I think that's what it is. One week later, I think all the other ones, Wimbledon and the U.S. Open, everything else is scheduled according to when it normally is scheduled. So, uh, And they may still have spectator restrictions as, as 
but uh, they're all trying to slowly get back to you know normal capacity. Well, if I'm not mistaken, one of the next big golf championships is going to be the British Open. So what's going on there? I mean, that's international. Uh, what have you heard about that tournament? Well, before even the British Open Championship, Alex, is the U.S. Open at Torrey Pines. That's June 17th through the 20th. And um, they are going to have spectators and um, they're going to have media. So that, you know, I'm not sure if it's going to be 100% what they normally have, but they're going to have both. And then the Open Championship will be the same, the date that it normally is in July. And um, I think they're going to have uh, a limited amount of, of spectators as well and probably a limited amount of media. So they're all trying to get back, you know, little by little, slowly but surely, which is a good sign. Well, one reason I want to bring you on is not just because of Mickelson, not just because of our friendship, but I saw how happy you were to reconnect with friends at the PGA. I'm like, I got to bring Ann on because you look so happy to be reconnected. What was that like personally for you to be back out there and see see colleagues again? Oh, it's so great. You know, I mean, golf, any sport, you know how much passion we have for what we do. And it's one thing to be at home, closed off from the world and doing your job. And being on the radio where, you know, thousands of people can't hear your words, but to be able to be there in person at A, to cover the event, you get more of a feel for what's going on. And then to see all your colleagues that you spend so much time with and, and re get to revisit with every time you get to a, a major championship. It's kind of like seeing you every year at the U.S. Open or, you know, it's just, you know, we become very connected to the people that we work with. We're, we're you know, doing what we love to do. It's uh we're watching the top athletes and what they do. It's a real privilege and honor to do what we do and to be able to, you know, grow our friendships with other professionals and our, our industry is just wonderful. So sure. Seeing all these people after gosh, over a year and a, almost a year and a half, seeing them in person and it, and it, you know, the international press corps, a lot of people still could not come over. Um, due to restrictions. But the ones that could, you know, I saw my buddies from the BBC. I saw my friends, my Scottish friends who are photographers. And so, yeah, it was one big, happy reunion for the people that could come over from overseas. And, you know, it's just part of uh, what we do. It's just you make lifelong friends and to reconnect is really special. Well, we all know what it's like up in the radio bullpen, right? That's a special thing up in the tennis center for sure. Um Okay, so I got to ask you this because we haven't, you know, we've gone through these golf tournaments without Tiger. And when that crash first happened and shocked the world, what were your first thoughts? And what do you have for us that maybe the, the outsiders don't have? Like any inside information on him and his possible return anytime soon this year or next year? Right. It's funny. Well, it's not funny. It's terrible what happened. But I was in Puerto Rico uh, playing, about to play in the Puerto Rican Open. And just to get into Puerto Rico, we had to be tested for COVID within 72 hours of landing in Puerto Rico. And then, it, so we got tested then. And then the day before we played in the Puerto Rico Open program, uh, we the day before as well. So we had to be tested two of the three days, um, you know, that I was in Puerto Rico. But while I was in Puerto Rico in February was when I heard of the terrible crash that Tiger Woods got in. And it, it was, it, it's bad, Alex. I mean, he, at this point, he just came out recently and said, uh, he has a contract with Golf Digest to do interviews um, occasionally. And the most recent uh, interviews 
he said, listen, I'm just hoping to walk. I just want to, I'm just working to walk normal again. So his injuries were so bad with both legs that he's just trying to stay positive and work each day in rehab to try to build strength in his legs so that he can walk normally without crutches, you know, without a cane. And he's not even going to answer questions right now. Will he ever play golf again? He's just thinking about, will he ever walk normally again? So he was very lucky to be alive. And uh, after that crash in February and, um, you know, our prayers are with him. Hopefully he can have a complete recovery. And then once he hopefully can get back to walking, then he has to, you know, really strengthen and God knows if he'll be able to get back to uh, any semblance of, uh, you know, playing golf as we all know Tiger Woods can play. Probably not ever uh, like we know Tiger Woods, but hopefully he'll be able to play again, you know, sometime in the future. I don't know if if you like the comparisons to the Ben Hogan crash. It's very different circumstances. Yet the end result is both of them had to learn to walk again. So do you see any comparison there? Do you think that can happen with Tiger, that he can have a Ben Hogan-type comeback, or is it a silly comparison? What's your thoughts when you started to hear that uh, comparison made? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, from the, you know, you'd have to ask a doctor to compare the, the two injuries, but as you, you know, Hogan came back and uh, miraculously and, and played and won after that. Will Tiger be able to do it? Well, you know how driven he is. Um, he is, uh, it, it's all based on hunger and being able to put the work in to get to the point where he can compete again. So, yeah, it would be interesting to compare the two. Um, the injuries are, are different, pretty different from what I understand. And wouldn't it be great if Tiger, you know, could eventually come back and compete and, and use Ben Hogan as an inspiration. But uh, right now, as I say, all we know is what he has told us. And what he recently said is, I just really am working on being able to walk normally again. Well, and and prayers to that. Uh, well, on that note, I want to talk about your show because another reason why I have you on on Saturday is because you got your show tomorrow morning. Talk about that and how that grew during the pandemic even. Because, you know, when you're in the pandemic and kind of everybody's sort of universally at home, you're able to get bigger and better guests and more guests. So, what was that like hosting your show while in this pandemic? Sure. I just think that's another thing about doing radio, right? You can do radio from anywhere as long as you have the proper equipment. And I was able to do the show last year during the pandemic. And this year, it's every Sunday on WFAN, 660 AM, 101.9 FM. Or you can listen live on WFAN.com. And you can, if you miss the show from 7 to 8 in the morning, kind of early on Sundays, you can also go back and hear it on the podcast on odyssey.com. So, yeah, I just think people listen to radio. People want, you know, especially during the pandemic when people couldn't leave, really leave their homes. People were listening to more radio. They were, they were listening to more podcasts. They were watching you know, more TV. They were watching uh, Netflix and whatever they can consume content-wise, right? So, uh, I was honored to be able to, to do Talking Golf the last couple of years. And this year, we're going every Sunday through Labor Day weekend. And uh, tomorrow's guest, I'm very excited for an honor Memorial Day weekend, this holiday weekend. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Dan Rooney will join me. He is the only fighter pilot 
who is also a Class A PGA club pro. Can you believe it? He is a golf pro and a fighter pilot and has had such a decorated career in the military. Unbelievable. He's had three tours in Iraq, and the work he has done to protect our freedom is just incredible. And he started this organization called Folds of Honor, where they raise money for scholarships for the spouses and children of our fallen heroes. And uh, this weekend at various golf courses around the country, um, they are raising money for um, Folds of Honor and an organization called PJ Hope, which is part of PJ of America. And um, the guy's just extraordinary. So I will be visiting with him tomorrow morning. And then Jack Nicholas's eldest son, his firstborn, Jack Nicholas the second, he will join me. He recently wrote a book called Best Seat in the House about the lessons he learned from his dad, the legendary golfer, Jack Nicholas. So I have a conversation with uh, Jack Nicholas Jr. Can you imagine being the namesake of, you know, Jack Nicholas? No pressure trying, there, right? Trying to be a golf pro? <laughs> no pressure there. Uh, no by the way, whatsoever. So I think you'll find some of the stories pretty compelling. Well, I remember you used to do that show Saturday mornings. And I used to actually during the U.S. Open watch you do it live from the U.S. Open. So now it's a little different, and it's cool to see it's on FAN now. Well, I still do the show on Saturdays. It's called Sports Interviews. So I did a show on WFAN uh, called Hey Lagori, What's the Story, and that aired from the first weekend that WFAN went on the air, 1987, July 4th. Uh, it aired for 25 years, called Hey Liguori, What's the Story? I talked about all sports, and every weekend um, for 25 years I did that show on WFAN, Alex. And then I stopped doing that for a little bit, and I started doing a show closer to home uh, on East End Long Island for an NPR station. It's now called WLIW, and it's called Sports Interview with Anne Liguori. So I still do that show. So you can hear that show on Saturdays from 7 to 8 on WLIW.org slash radio. Or if you're out this way, you can hear it on 88.3 FM. And each one of those shows I turn into a podcast that you can hear on Audio Boom or iTunes or, you know, whatever podcast um, platform that you listen to. So that's the, that's the radio version of Sports Interview. And, and you know, I did that TV show, uh, Sports Interview, for 17 years, where I interviewed everybody from the great Mickey Mantle to Will Chamberlain to um, Sam Musial, Sam Snead, Brad Favre. I mean, I have over 500 interviews with those sports legends in my library so those shows are going to be you're going to be able to watch those shows we're building a a platform on my website at annlegory.com and you'll be able to see it in a couple weeks because it's going to be done soon but uh, those shows you'll be able to watch these shows with these legendary sports icons you'll be able to watch it on annlegory.com in a couple weeks when the platform's done so very excited about all, all that's going on but I want you to send people to your Instagram because when a famous person, you know, a famous sports celebrity does pass on, I'm like, there's Anne. She interviewed this athlete not too long, you know, during that run. So tell us about the Instagram because I noticed on there you do post videos from the interview, sports interviews. Sure. Yeah. The uh, Instagram is, is the Anne Ligori and it's L-I-G-U-O-R-I. Anne is A-N-N. So my Instagram is the Anne Ligori and then Twitter and everything else. Uh, Facebook and LinkedIn, it's all Anne Liguori. 
And a lot of time, every week I, I put up links to my shows and, um, and yes, you know, when Hank Aaron, um, just such an incredible guy, rest in peace, Hank Aaron, when he passed, I went back and watched the interview that I did with him years ago and posted, uh, that show. So that's from that sports interview series that I did for MSG Network that, that aired for, for, you know, 17 years. So yes, I do sometimes pull from that show, uh, Alex and, and put them, you know, when it's, um, when the time is right, I, I put them on, uh, my social media, but now you'll be able to watch them in a, in a, in soon when this platform is ready on allegory.com. You'll be able to go on and watch any of the shows. Technology is amazing, right? To be able to restore all of that and put it on a website now, it just is kind of surreal in a sense. You're absolutely right. What you can do now is just so unbelievable. So now finally, after all these years, I can digitize all these shows that were taped on all these old formats because the show, that show started with my Mickey Mantle interview back in 1989. And um, so for years I did that show and maintained the rights to all those TV um, archives. And for a long time, I mean, you know, I just relied on various TV stations to re-air the show after we stopped, after, you know, we stopped airing it on cable after 17 years. And and now you see what you can get contact content anywhere, right? Um, it's amazing. So everywhere. It, it's going to be really fun to have it be available just to watch it on my website. They even push this one out, like on Apple podcasts, this podcast on Apple podcasts. It's like I was just a kid in the studio doing this in a basement of college. How did this become like something I never expected it to grow? Right. So it's that kind of feeling too. Uh, and I got to ask you though, you told me a little before we went on the air, you were an athlete as well. And, and maybe those who follow your journalistic career maybe don't know that you had the sports career as well. Tell us about that. Sure. So, yeah, I was always very athletic. Um, in high school, well, in junior high, uh, they, there were no sports. I grew up in a small town in Ohio. And when I was a kid, all, all, the, all the guys pretty much in the neighborhood would come, and we had a big backyard, and we'd play sports in the backyard. I had an older brother, and, you know, a lot of times I was the first one picked to play on the baseball, in the games, whatever we played, kickball, baseball, softball, whatever, um, because I could run faster back then, right? So I was always used to competing with the guys. And then I got to junior high, and there were no sports for girls. It was so disheartening. There was just nothing but cheerleading. And so we organized a track team, and my dad drove us around to all these track events with the amateur athletic union and we, we organized a team from from my school and we competed in track and then I played tennis uh we joined a club and I was able to you know, take tennis lessons and play a lot of tennis but this was all independent of school but by the time I got to high school title nine had passed a couple of years and finally there were varsity sports programs for girls so in the fall I played volleyball in the winter I played basketball and in the spring, I did both track for the girls' track team. I was a sprinter and a long jumper. And then I also played tennis on the guys' team. We were able to double uh, when our schedules, you know, didn't conflict. We were able to double at, in, in two sports back then. So I played number one tennis my senior year on the boys' tennis team because we still didn't have a girls' team back then. And then I also ran track for the girls' team. So, um, you know, earned uh, 16 varsity backs and in high school and uh, was quite busy, as you can imagine. 
but it was really good training, I think, to do what I'm doing now because. Well, I was going to say, I how did you get into the journalism field after after the sports uh, time? Say, say again. How'd you end up in the journalism world after doing all these sports that you had done? I always wanted to be a broadcaster. I always wanted to. That's my. That was my first love. I never had any. Um, I didn't even know you could become a professional. You know, back then the, the opportunities were kind of slow coming for for girls. Now. Uh, it would be a whole different story because, you know, girls grow up with all these opportunities and they just become athletes, which I think is great. But back then, we didn't really have those opportunities. So, but I always wanted to be a broadcaster. And I thought with my athletic background, I, I would go into sports. And, and basically, that's what I did. I studied broadcast journalism at the University of South Florida in Tampa and then came to New York right out of college on a, a fellowship program that was sponsored by the International Radio and TV Society. And... I came up out of college and basically never left. So I started my career in Manhattan. Can you believe it? And um, here I am. I'm still I'm still going strong, I hope, knock on wood. Oh, yeah. And you know what they say? If you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. But, you know, you just talked about a little while ago, while ago how there were no sports for girls. I've got to ask you this because, the you know, Augusta finally opened up to women. And when you first got that news, what was your reaction? Well, that happened a number of years ago, Alex, um, when, when they opened up, um, you know, and Condoleezza Rice was one of the first, there were, there were three in her class, one of the first women to um, be asked to join Augusta National. So, yeah, I was very thrilled that that was the case. Um, I had been working there for years at that point, and to cover golf at a club where there, where women members were not allowed was very awkward and uncomfortable, but I have to say they always treated me wonderfully at Augusta National, but obviously it's much better now that they have women members. Now, they're not going to promote who their women member, who their members are and how many more they've, they've added since because it's a private club and they feel that it's no business. But so, I'm glad that, uh, you know, we do know that there are uh, a few female members and Pine Valley in New Jersey had, um, just a couple weeks ago, I remember talking about this on my talking golf show on WFAN. Pine Valley, New Jersey said that um, they were going to open up their doors to women members. So there are still, you know, there are still quite a few clubs out there that restrict, um, that have a restricted membership. I'm glad that Pine Valley, New Jersey, which is, you know, it's, it's many times voted the number one golf course in the country by Golf Digest and other publications and it's good to hear that they are opening up their doors to female members as well all right i, I don't know if anybody's ever asked you this i'm sure they have what's your favorite course to play golf and if you do play tennis uh have you ever played in any of the big you know tournament uh you know courts like in roland garros or wimbledon or even the u.s open funny that you ask because in tennis when i was in college i had this bizarre experience where I was able to get on the practice courts at Wimbledon. My girlfriend and I were studying in a summer college program, studying abroad in London, and we picked up our rack, tennis rackets and put tennis clothes on, and we were going to go to Wimbledon and watch tennis. Now, why we thought we'd have to bring our rackets is really, just to me, all these years later, very amusing. <laughs> but we're on the way, you know, in London, they call it the tube, and this young British guy came up to us and he saw us pictures and of ourselves on our way to Wimbledon. And he said, Can, you want me to take your photo? And we said, sure. So we, we gave him our camera and he took pictures of us. So we started talking to him 
And he said, and we said, well, we're going to Wimbledon. And he said, we have tickets. And he said, and we said, no, we thought we'd just queue and, and buy tickets. He said, oh, well, you know, that might take you days and days to sit in that line. And, and, and you probably won't be able to get tickets because they sell out. He said, I am a member of the All England Club. Why don't you come in as my guest? <laughs> Imagine the wow. stroke of luck. I mean, this is just so bizarre. As we're riding the subway out to Wimbledon, we went in as his guest uh, during the Wimbledon tournament, and we uh, we ate in the players' lounge and watched matches. And then he even said we could go and play on the courts out there, the players' courts and uh, the practice courts. And hitting next to us was Billie Jean King and Tracy Austin. You can get better than that, Ian. A stroke of luck. Well, we were just these, you know, college kids going to a summer program in London, being able to go to Wimbledon based on just this nice stream that we met on the train. How it's... crazy is that? So, yes, well, I did play at Wimbledon on the practice courts when I And I have played Augusta National three times, the Monday after the Masters, which I'm very uh, happy to say. They're, they do have a lottery where they pick... X amount of media uh, to play, and if, and if you play that year, you have to wait seven years before you put your name back in the lottery. So I was lucky enough to get picked three times. So I played Augusta National three times the Monday after the Masters, and uh, you know that has to be one of my favorite courses of all time. And now I've done a lot of uh, TV and radio shows in Ireland. Uh, Tours of Ireland has hired me to visit their courses in Ireland and, and to play a lot of their links courses and parkland courses and i've fallen in love with golf in ireland and the, and the irish people are so hospitable so I, I have a lot of favorite courses in our country but I'll, i also have a lot of great you know wonderful favorite courses in ireland and i can't wait to get back there i was gonna say when the pandemic is fully done i'm sure you're gonna be right back out internationally going on the courses and even you know going to tennis again you you've been obviously covering all these um for the for the tennis though you, you were not there you know over in Wimbledon or Roland Garros last year right are you going this year or, or still doing that from home? No, I haven't done. I haven't. I did Wimbledon years ago as a Spanish student for HBO, but um, you know I normally do stay and do the U.S. Open. I would go over, um, but WFN you know hasn't been over. They they don't really. I mean, if they were a bigger tennis station, I'm, I'm sure they would, but. Uh, I'd love to go to Roland Garros, and I'd love to go to the Australian Open. Obviously, I've covered the U.S. Open every year for like over three decades. I've, I've been there for so long. Um, but I've never covered um, the French Open. I've never covered the Australian Open. So I'd love to get, you know, one day get back there. Well, one last question, because when you think about Wimbledon, I just think of Andy Murray winning in front of his hometown. I mean, this was such a great moment for him. Uh, do you remember what was that like that day covering that against Novak? I mean, that whole set game set and match, it was like unbelievable. Andy won it in front of his home crowd for the first time. Oh yeah. Andy Murray. Wow. That was great. Now I wasn't at Wimbledon when that happened, but I certainly talked about it on my show in New York on WFN. And I remember well, and then he went on to win, you know, more titles, but that was, uh, just, uh, wonderful you know there's so many great sports stories mm -hmm. so many great sports stories hopefully roger federer will pick up 
continue on. He's been injured, and I know it's you know at this point you know you got Novak Djokovic is is pretty much winning everything, right? And as long as Novak's healthy, it, I, it'd be hard to, you know for think some of these other superstars and and Adele has been injured, but um, what a record he's had. I mean, we tennis has been unbelievable as far as you know these dominating three personalities, right? Uh, Roger Federer, Novak Djokovic, Rafael Nadal, and to see these the the, the rivalries between these three guys yeah. for so long. And again, you look at Phil Mickelson and the fact that he's come back and whatever he's doing now physically, he's in better shape now at the age of almost 51 than ever before. And to see Serena Williams continue to compete, um, even after giving birth, I mean, the fact that she can even get through to the semifinals and to the finals and some of these major championships after giving birth is just incredible. So we know so much more about what you know, and sustain and, and, and eat right and exercise. And it's, it's great to see because we're seeing all these incredible legends well into their later years, right? Well, you know what I didn't realize until I saw actually a TikTok video, interesting enough, that uh, Tom Seaver won his 300th game at 40. So it shows that age really is just a number. And and I, I want to say that I think nostalgia plays a role in why so many people were enraptured with this Nichols, Mickelson win. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, people, he's the people's champion, Phil Mickelson. People love him. He basically is, you know, wears his heart on his sleeve. He He's very emotional. He's very open. He, he said even just a number of weeks ago that, He's had trouble you know, sustaining focus. I mean, if you look at his record before the PGA Championship, Alex, he missed more cuts than he made this I season. Know. He was terrible. And he was getting frustrated, and he was not liking failure. And he said, listen, I'm just, you know, a day away from getting back into this. And, that, and then he had a, he'd shoot a great number one day and then a really high number the next. But to put four consistent rounds together and to keep your focus during a major championship on such a brutally tough course as the ocean course on Kiowa Island for four straight days, that's a true accomplishment. So you have to give him a lot of credit for really somehow, whether it's meditation or uh, working, you know, your mind and, and just keeping it focused and staying in the present, how whatever he has done to work on maintaining his focus for four straight days is incredible. And now he goes into the U S open to Torrey Pines. It's the, a favorite. It's the only, well, he, yeah, he's one of the favorites, but he's and he grew up in San Diego, so he knows the golf course. And you know, it's the only championship he hasn't won. If he wins the U.S. Open, he's been runner-up there six times. If he wins the U.S. Open, he will complete a career Grand Slam, which is so rare to do. So, well, and be Tiger's great been in his way a couple of times. The magic for the PGA Championship and win a U.S. Open title. Yeah, and Tiger actually thwarted a couple of those times, if I'm not mistaken, um, over the years. Uh, but no, for Phil to do that is just, it was rem tremendous. And, you know, I think all eyes were on him on like day three when he was kind of bogeying here and there. And then he got back on track. It was like, is he going to keep it going? And he did. He didn't implode really at all. Yeah, he, uh, well, the course is so tough that, um, you know, they exchanged leads uh, a few times over the weekend. But um, he was able to basically beat a guy 20 years younger than him, Brooks Kepka. And now Brooks has had a bum knee and is coming off surgery. The fact that Brooks has been playing so well, even with his injuries, is a, a, another inspirational story in itself. But um, 
fulfilled to sustain and not get discouraged when, you know, he would drop out of the lead and to stay in the, in the moment, in the present, is a true testament to the champion that he is. Well, you know, when we came into this conversation and talk about your radio show, I was just thinking, um, did, the, did the 2040 reports, you know, those 2020 sports updates, did they come well after the shows that you had started or did they come right in tandem with it? Like, how did that start? Was it radio show first and then the updates or was it updates? Like, how did yes, that go? I started doing the radio show on WFAN, Hey, LaGuardia, What's the Story, as I said, on July 4th, 1987. Doc Gooden was my first guest. I got an exclusive mm-hmm. with him the, the, a couple weeks after he got out of rehab. I was the first one to talk to him. And that was the first interview I did for my show, Hey, LaGuardia, What's the Story. The updates came a little later. Now, I can't remember what year they actually started, but I love golf and tennis. They're my two favorite sports. Oh, well, no, I was covering tennis from, from day one on WFAN and even covering tennis before that when I was with ABC Radio Sports, and even before that when I, as I said, was a, st- a statistician for HBO Sports. But golf, I started covering a little later. That's why I've been to 23 consecutive Masters, and I've been to, gosh, 38 consecutive U.S. Open ch- tennis championships. I mean, that is pretty crazy when I think about it, because I'm only 21. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, the uh, golf coverage came a little after I started the, the, the weekly show on FAN. Well, to tee up, uh, pun intended, to tee up your conversation with Jack Nicholas Jr., do you remember when Jack Nicholas Sr. came to the Viscardi Center and did that auction of $250,000 for two different people to golf with him and have lunch. Do you remember that night? I do. He raised a ton of money. I don't remember the exact amount, but oh my goodness. He's so generous. I mean, you know, he spends a lot of time now um, and in the past, gosh, 20 years doing things for charity. So um, he and Barbara Nicholas are just phenomenal people. And, you know, golfing as a sport is very charitable. And uh, it's always inspirational to hear in fact, Dan Rooney, Lieutenant Colonel Dan Rooney, who will be my guest tomorrow, he, he and Jack Nicholas built a golf course uh, for Patriots, for veterans, to raise money, more money for Bullets of Honor. He, um, he built a golf course in, West, I think it's Wisconsin, with Jack Nicholas. And Jack, it was all donated, Jack's time. And, and uh, my, you know, it was all donated for his... Uh, or Dan Rooney's organization, Folds of Honor. So it's just so inspirational to, to hear and see what these superstars do for other people. You know, we got to get you back, uh, maybe around the Arnold Palmer Classic, and talk about your memories of Arnie. I mean, there's so much golf to talk about, and we're just touching, scratching the surface here, I feel. So I'd love to have you back on as these tournaments continue this year. Anytime, Alex, anytime. I'm Alex Garrett, where, of course, we're always adapting. My guest today, Anne Ligori. Thank you so much for joining in. My pleasure, Alex. Continued success. And I love your energy. Love uh, your positive enthusiasm for all you do. You're a true inspiration yourself. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, I'm so honored that you were able to join us today. I'm Alex Garrett. We'll talk to you soon.